This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media. See, the thing about this, Tim Keller says it this way, when difficult times come, this is your opportunity to turn your self-serving, exploitative relationship with God into real love. Because he says, when darkness falls in your life, you're gonna discover whether you got in this relationship with God to serve him or for him to serve you. Will you still love him even when you feel like you're getting nothing from God? Today. 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 Today with Jeff Vines. We are taking the gospel to the world. Pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. One truth that will be delivered in love and compassion, connecting every one person to all that God has promised them. You make me Today. Today. Today with Jeff Vines. Hello, this is Today with Jeff Vines. Welcome, my name is Bill. And in this episode, Pastor Jeff continues his message about waiting on God. He's looking at the book of Habakkuk and his back and forth dialogue with God. Pastor Jeff is also encouraging us to see the bigger picture when we're in times of trial and encouraging us to wait with humility. Here's Pastor Jeff in Habakkuk chapter 2. Paul says, okay, I'm sick, but this sickness, the only sickness that can really destroy me is the sickness of sin, because the wages of sin, death, but Jesus died on the cross, so no sickness can take me down. I'm going to live forever. I may be in debt, and he was, but the only kind of debt that can kill me is the debt I had before God, but that debt's been taken care of by the cross of Jesus Christ, and besides, all the wealth I could possibly amass on this planet can in no way compare to the wealth I'm going to get when the glory of the Lord is revealed. So he says, it doesn't matter to me. He said, yeah, I I hurt. I've got a painful life, but I've gone up to the ramparts. I've gone up to the tower and I've looked over the valley and I've noticed the coming of the glory of the Lord. And when he comes, everything's going to be made right. Hey, have you seen the movie, The Butler yet? Okay. You need to go see it. Pastor Jeff told you to go see it. Now, somebody said, Pastor Jeff, you won't like that movie. It's too slow. Now, what you don't understand is when you get older, you need things to slow down just a little bit. and not be so loud. But Forrest Whitaker is one of my favorite actors. Fantastic movie. And I just want to, I want to say a few things to you. And you've got to make sure that you listen well so that you make sure you understand what I'm saying. I like this movie. This movie traced the racism and the segregation of our country back from Lyndon Johnson and even earlier all the way to present day. Forrest Whitaker played the role of a butler in the White House. And so he sees it through the eyes of every president through generation after generation, through decade after decade. Forrest Whitaker plays this role so well. He has a son who's trying to fight segregation and racism. I like the movie because it reminded me of where we were as a nation and how far we've come. I'm not suggesting for a moment that racism is dead. If you think it is, you're living in a hole somewhere. It's still there, but we've come such a long way. And the last scene of the movie is when Forrest Whitaker, uh, his character, is walking down the hallway. Now he's retired. He's in his 80s. He's leaving the White House. But his last act in the White House is to be escorted down the halls in order to meet the new president of the United States, Barack Obama. 
And I just wondered as I saw the movie, how much more courage, how much more, you know, perseverance, how much more passion would Forrest Whitaker's character have had if he could have early in those days of segregation and racism gone up to the ramparts, gone up to the top of the tower, peered over the valley into the horizon and known one day our country's going to advance so much that we're actually going to have an African-American president. How much courage would he have had? I'm sure in his life he thought that would never happen and the tears rolled down his cheeks. Now please don't put me in a position where you think I'm making political statements this morning. Don't do that to me. I want to tell you something else. There is a part of me, this is not, let me say it again, this is not a political statement. You hear me? But there was a part of me that when Barack Obama was elected president, that I was proud of America. I didn't say I agree with his politics. I didn't say I'm a Democrat or a Republican. I'm just simply saying that there was a part of me that said, we've come far that we would elect an African-American president. Thank God we're getting rid of some of our racism. You understand what I'm saying? And I'm saying how much, look, who did this better? I love history. I love early church history. I love American history. I love world history. Who did this better? Who went to the top and looked out over the tower and the ramparts? Who did it better than anybody else in history so that he was able, able to stand strong and stand firm? I, don't, I think you'll have a difficult argument saying anybody other than Martin Luther King Jr. Think about it. In spite of the hate and the animosity of others, in spite of assassination attempts on his life, in spite of continual threats on the lives of his family, in spite of the reality of his own death, I'm convinced if you go back and read some of those great speeches he made, he knew he would die before segregation and before racism died. He knew that he would not make it to see the glory. And a matter of fact, in the last part of one of his more famous speeches, he says, well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead, he says, but it really doesn't matter to me now because I've been to the mountaintop. Hear what he's saying? And I don't mind. Like anybody, I'd like to live a long life. Longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now, really. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain, and I've looked over, and I've seen the promised land. And then he finishes that speech by saying, I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. And so I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the coming of the glory of the Lord or the glory of the coming of the Lord. Here's what I want to say to you. When your life is not going the way you want it to go, when you think God's not opening the windows of heaven and blessing you, you wait patiently because you surrender your sense of omniscience. You don't know how this is all going to end, but if you really want to survive, not only survive, but thrive, you got to go up to the rampart. you got to go up to the top of the tower, and you got to say to yourself, hey, I know my life is like this right now, but one day Jesus Christ is coming on the clouds of glory. One day everything's going to be made well. One day everything you lost is going to be replaced to an infinitely greater degree. One day the new city Jerusalem is going to fall down out of the sky, and there's going to be a new heaven, and there's going to be a new earth, and God will be my God, and we will be his people, and you'll be able to say, I'm so happy today. I'm not worried about anything then. I'm not fearing any man or circumstances because mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Yeah. What do you do? What do you do, folks? What do you do? You wait with humility. You're not omniscient. You wait with a perspective. And finally, you wait with a deep love for God. Now, this is how I want to bring it all together. You got to stay with me here. This is what I don't have in my life that I wish I did and that I wish all of us did. So let's go with it together, okay? Let's think about this for a moment. What's the first thing the devil does when he comes to Job? He says, God, yeah, yeah, Job is pursuing you. Sure, I know that. But he's not pursuing you for you. He's only pursuing you for your things and the things you give him. 
You've made his life easy. Of course he's going to come after you. He's not waiting on you. He's waiting on your things. He's not even pursuing you, God. He's pursuing your stuff. And the only reason he's in a relationship anyway is for what he can get out of it. As a matter of fact, he doesn't love you. He loves your stuff. And if you remove all that stuff from him, God, not only will he vanish away like the wind, but he'll actually stand up and curse you. And God said, okay, let the test begin. Now, isn't it true that Satan has the goods on us, doesn't he? Most of us, when we first come to God, we come because there's something we want. There's something missing in our lives, and we think, okay, maybe the spiritual buzz or the spirituality can change me. And we hope that God will do something great. And that's fine, that's fine. It is good that when there's a void in your life that only God can fill, that you run to God to fill it. That's good. Or sometimes we want God to help us get our saviors, right? The things we think will really save us, like get me the girl, get me the guy, get me the house, get me the car, get me the cash, right? That's why I want to come to God, because he's going to help me get the things I truly want. Because at that point in your life, it's not truly God that you want. It's God involved to help you get the things that you truly want. But you can't stay like that forever, folks. Why? Because that's hypocrisy. Have you ever had a friend use you? You ever had a friend hang out with you because of the money you had? Ever had a friend hang around you because of the friends you had? They liked your friends. They didn't really like you, but the only way into that click group is through you. Ever had a friend like that? Ever had a friend be able to get you into exclusive places you couldn't get in yourself? But as soon as they got everything they needed from you, dropped you with a thud. How'd that make you feel? Not very good, huh? I still hear people say, Pastor Jeff, I... Uh, I tried the church thing for a while, but God didn't give me what I wanted, so I gave up on that. What you're really saying is this. You didn't come to God to get God. You just wanted his things. And you're still living an egocentric life. You think your life and the whole world is all about you. And what's ironic about that, folks, is you would never let a friend treat you like that and let them remain your friend, ever. But you expect God to allow you to treat him like that and remain committed to you. Stay with me now. The last two years of my dad's life, he died of emphysema. And that's why I say to you again, if you're smoking, knock it off. Knock it off, man. If you could see the way my dad died, if you could see the way smokers usually die, you'd never smoke another cigarette. The last year of my dad's life, he was incoherent for most of it. Because you can't get enough oxygen to your brain when you're dying of emphysema. So even though you're alive, you're hooked up to oxygen, you're really not thinking clearly. My sister-in-law, my youngest brother's wife, looked after the needs of my father for over a year, changed him, changed his bed, listened in the night for him to get up so he wouldn't stumble and hurt himself, go into his bedroom, walk him to the bathroom, walk him back, take him to the doctor's appointment, feed him, clothe him for over a year. She loved my dad without getting anything in return. Is that the way you love God? You say, Pastor Jeff, that's impossible. I, there's never a time when I'm not getting anything from God. Yes, I know that. But there are seasons in your life when you're going to feel like you're getting nothing from God. And my question to you is, will you still love him even when you feel like you're getting nothing from God? What would it be like if God loved us the way we loved him? See, the thing about this, Tim Keller says it this way, when difficult times come, this is your opportunity to turn your self-serving, exploitative relationship with God into real love. Because he says, when darkness falls in your life, 
you're going to discover, perhaps for the first time, whether you got in this relationship with God to serve him or for him to serve you. I want you to take everything I've said now. It's in a big bundle, and I want to shove it over here, and we're going to bring it all together, okay? We're talking about the blessed life. We've said there are seasons in your life when you're not going to feel very blessed, but wait patiently. The revelation will come. You're not omniscient. Surrender it. You've got to wait with perspective. You've got to go up on top of the tower. You've got to see what's coming. And you've got to say to yourself, mine eyes have seen the coming of the glory of the Lord. I know whatever's happening here, the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And anything I've lost will be replaced to an infinitely greater degree. And while you're doing that, you love God. Even though you don't understand everything, you keep loving God. Because here's the ultimate issue of the blessed life right here. And one very simple question. If you're looking for the blessed life, what is the best gift God could give you? What is the best gift God could give you? Think about it. Don't say it out loud. What is the best gift? God wants to, the Bible says God wants to desperately bless his children with the best gifts. What is the best gift God could give me? Let me give you a hint. Had a wedding on Friday. Rachel got married. Rachel married Joel. Man, it was a beautiful wedding. I'm telling you, this was the wedding. They were just fun. I don't get to do a lot of weddings because of my schedule, but she booked me probably, I don't know, years ago, it seems like. Said, you would do this wedding? I said, man, I, I consider it a privilege. So I got to participate in this wedding. Josh Wolford, a friend of theirs, built what is called uh, a hoopah. And it's, uh, it's uh, kind of Jewish heritage. You get married under the hoopah, and it's a sign of God covering you with blessings in your marriage. Now, I know there are some of you who really know your Jewish history, so you're also going to know the hoopah is where the marriage is consummated. I want you to know that did not take place on Friday. <laughs> but we did have the wedding, did have the wedding, and asked for God's blessings. This is such a great couple. Their commitments, they wrote their vows to each other on top of the traditional vows, and they wanted a little bit of both. But it was a happy uh, celebratory occasion. And it was amazing. But here's what I want to ask you. What do you think Rachel wants most from Joel? And what does Joel want most from Rachel? Is it cash? Now, as I said, they'll take that too, but it's not ultimately what they want. I'll give you another little hint. When I had my son Delaney, my first child, my dad put his arm around me and he said, son, listen to me. What that boy needs is you. He needs you. What Rachel wants from Joel is the same thing that every wife in this room wants from her husband. Not cash, although she'll take that too. What she ultimately wants, though, is him. The greatest gift that God can give to you, stay with me, is himself. But in order for God to give himself to you in the way he wants to give himself to you, you have to go through seasons of where you feel like God is not listening. Or you have to go through a season where pain comes. Because it's only in the difficult times of your life that you will run to God and you won't ask him for stuff. You'll ask, be asking him, God, give me peace. And to get peace, you gotta have him. God, give me wisdom. Wisdom, you gotta have him. God, give me grace. You gotta have him. That's why the Greek word Philipsis in the New Testament is the word translated pain or tribulation. And the etymology of the word is to take your shoes off and step on the grapes in the wine press and squeeze them until the good stuff comes out. See what God needs to do? He's got to squeeze you in periods of your life so that he can reveal himself to you. 
You want the blessed life? It comes as a result of going through the valley before you ever get to the mountaintop. And when you go through the valleys, when you seek God, but not his stuff or his things, you seek him. God knows that about you. And it's not his fault we're so hard-headed. He knows how to get our attention. Do you understand that's why Job said, though he slay me, I'll put my hope in him. I've been to the top. And even though I don't understand why God's not delivering, I've been to the ramparts. I've been to the tower. My hope is in God and God alone. He said, before my, my ears had heard about God, I knew about him, but now my eyes have seen him through all of this. I know who he is now. He's revealed himself to me, and now I repent, dust and ashes. I'm sorry, God. I'm sorry. What I needed all along was just you. And I'll say again that you'll never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. And then you'll know. And Job says, I don't understand. I'm like Habakkuk. I don't understand why this is happening. But I know my Redeemer lives, and in the end, he will stand on the earth. What's he saying? I don't know why this is happening, but I've been to the ramparts. I've been to the top. I've looked over the valley, and I've seen that my Redeemer one day will stand on this earth, and all will be made well. What I'm trying to say to you folks is this. The truly blessed life is what happens to us while we're waiting for the blessed life to come. The ultimate blessing that you could ever receive is the presence of God. And you will never know God in the way he seeks to be known until you walk through the valley and he escorts you to the top of the mountain. And then you're unshakable, unflappable. Nothing, nothing can sway you. Now I want to show you what happens. In verse 2, Habakkuk, verse 4 rather, he says, See, the enemy's puffed up. He's proud. His desires are not upright. He won't let go of his own omniscience. But the righteous person will live by faithfulness. Do you hear that? By faithfulness. Habakkuk says, in the very first verse, he says, I will stand my watch. What's he saying? I'm not only going to go to the top and look out and see that my Redeemer lives and one day he'll stand on the earth. And I'm going to wait patiently in perspective because of that. But while I'm waiting, I'm going to stand my post. I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep going to church. I'm going to keep reading my Bible. I'm going to keep doing everything that I did when God's presence was just overwhelming me. I'm standing my post. I'm not going to leave just because, just because right now I don't feel the blessings of God. I'm standing my post. And in those times and seasons when I get weak and I think, why am I still standing here? Why am I still going through these emotions? Why am I still worshiping and praying and doing all these things? I'm going to look out and I'm going to remind myself that I know my Redeemer lives and mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. That is Habakkuk's message. Let me end like, let me just quickly, let me quickly. My mom's a crazy woman. And I think most of you have no trouble believing that because, look, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. My, my, my mom, she, was, she loved blackberries, and what a coincidence, I love eating them. So we all picked them, and she would make blackberry jam. And I've told this story before, something similar to it. But she would go, usually ask farmers if we could go play black, uh, pick blackberries on their farms because I grew up in Tennessee. But sometimes my mom, just she was the daredevil, man. She was just a crazy woman. She would just be driving by a country road with us three boys in the car, and she'd look over, man, look at that blackberry patch. Get out of the car, kids. And she'd park in the, on the side of the road, and we'd just rake right through the fence. And let's pick some blackberries. She's like me. I don't go anywhere without my golf club. She never went anywhere without those big five-gallon buckets in the back of the truck. 
And then we'd be scraping ourselves through this barbed wire and we'd say, Mom, don't you think you should ask permission? Oh, no, blackberries. They're a gift from God. Let's go. <laughs> and we'd go pick these blackberries. We'd start filling our buckets up, right? And I remember this one occasion. I kind of got separated from my other three brothers and my mom and I was picking these blackberries and I kind of came around one of the little thorn bushes there and I, there was a bull and when you're nine years old, man, a bull with these horns, I was terrified. And you know how dramatic I am. So I'm like, ah, you know, I'm going to get killed here. And I'm really scared, though. I remember my heart just beating. And I'm picking these blackberries, trying to, I had such a, a sense of duty. I'm still trying to do what my mom asked me to do. But I'm trying to say, where's that bull? I'm terrified. And then the bull starts moving closer, and he's snorting and digging. And I'm terrified. And just about the time, or I'm crying by now, you know, I'm just weeping. I'm thinking, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And about that time, somebody grabbed my arm scared me to death. I turned around. It was my dad. He had gone by that country road and saw and seen that my mother had pulled over. She says, what, what's my wife doing with my kids now? She pulls over. He, he runs in and he just happened to be there at the right time. And my dad, I looked around, he grabbed my arm and he said, hey, I got you. Don't you worry. I got you. And that's exactly what God is saying to every one of you. It doesn't look good. It looks bleak, but I got you. Get rid of your own omniscience. I know how this is going to turn out. Run up to the tower if you need to and peer over the valley. Your Redeemer lives and he's going to come and sort this out. Wait for it. The revelation will come. But keep loving me. Keep loving because I am your Father and I got you. I got you. Father, I thank you so much for the power of your word. I thank you for uh, opening our eyes to a wonderful passage in Habakkuk. And I pray just now in Jesus' name that there would be something that just overwhelms us with your love and your passion for us, especially for those right now who are going through a season in their lives when they don't feel very blessed. I pray that you'd pour out your spirit on them. You'd comfort them with your love. And even though all the answers don't come at the same time, I pray that you would remind them that little by little the revelation will come to wait for it. Wait for it. It will be revealed. And in the meantime, give us the courage to remember that you are the God of the heavens who's entered into a relationship with us whose promises will all come true. And so we wait. We wait with humility. We wait perspective with a perspective on you. And we wait with great love for you, knowing and trusting that the chaos that is our lives, you will take it and turn it into beauty and pattern and design is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Next time, we'll bring you a new message from Pastor Jeff. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. This is a production by One and All Media. For more, head to oneandall.media.